the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. I hope you enjoyed a fine President's Day holiday yesterday as I did. I redid my kitchen. I tiled my entire kitchen. I've never done that before. Anyway, glad to be back in studio. Today we're going to hear a classic interview with Alex Lippert, author of Afterwork, an honest discussion about the retirement lie. It's uh, independently published, and he'll uh, join us at 5 o'clock, the top of the second hour. We'll also take a look at George Washington as this is his actual birthday as we reflect back on President's Day. But first, we'll take a look at what's happening well, at some distance, NATO says Russia is planning full-scale attack in Kiev, warning real risk of a full-blown war in Europe. That's what the headline read. And the president, when he addressed all of this and the movement of Russian troops, he began by referring to it as an incursion, but later an invasion. The semantics of invasion are somewhat challenging. Well, NATO Secretary General Jens Stolenberg said on Tuesday that there is every indication that Russia is planning a full-scale attack on Ukraine and urged Moscow to reverse course immediately, saying we urge Russia in the strongest possible terms to choose the path of diplomacy. This is the most dangerous moment in European security for a generation. Uh, Every indication is that Russia continues to plan for full-scale attack on Ukraine. The president even uh, president rather even made reference to blood being brought to the area where Russian troops are located. Well, the secretary general's comments come just one day after Russian President Vladimir Putin first announced his decision to recognize the independence of two Russian backed breakaway regions in eastern Ukraine and then ordered peacekeeping troops into the Donbass region. Peacekeeping troops. Well, Stalinberg confirmed that the uh, that NATO had evidence that Russian forces have already invaded Ukraine following Putin's order. Over 150,000 troops have amassed along Ukraine's border in Russia, Belarus, as well as in occupied Crimea and Donbass. Uh, Moscow is now moved from covert attempts to destabilize Ukraine to overt military action. The NATO chief went on to say many units are forward deployed in combat formations. They are out of their camps in the fields and ready to strike, end quote. Well, Stoltenberg applauded immediate moves by nations like Germany, the U.K. and the U.S. to target financial institutions tied to the Kremlin and said NATO was continuing to help defend Ukraine by providing military equipment and sustained financial support. Well, the U.S. and NATO have said that they will not deploy forces to Kiev uh, to engage with Russian military as Ukraine is not a NATO member. Uh, member nations surrounding Ukraine, like Romania and Poland, have received military support as thousands of troops have been deployed from the U.S., the U.K. and Baltic states to protect against any possible Russian aggression, which at least gives you some idea why Ukraine desperately wants to be a part of NATO. Well, in answer to a reporter's questions on mounting concerns that there will be full on war in Europe, Stoltenberg warned there's a real risk. 
Ukraine is a highly valued partner. We support them with military support, with political support, he said. But when it comes to NATO allies, we provide absolute sec- security guarantees, meaning we make it absolutely clear that an attack on any ally, one of our allies, will trigger a response from the whole alliance, one for all, all for one. And, of course, Ukraine is not a member of NATO. There is no room for miscalculation about our ability to defend our allies, Stoltenberg went on to say. Well, the NATO head said it is still possible for Russia to reverse course but not further invade by not further invading Ukraine and come back to the negotiating table. It's never too late to not attack, and that's the reason why we continue to call on Russia to step back, to de-escalate, and to engage in good faith diplomatic efforts. Interestingly, I heard from several people who have had direct dealings with Vladimir Putin who suggested there's something different this time around. He looks different. He sounded different. um, And waxing somewhat nostalgic, they are convinced He is attempting to put back some semblance of the former USSR. Well, in other uh, other news, Putin launched the president's uh, uh, and the president referred to it as a minor incursion into uh, Ukraine. At Mark Alexander in observing the not only the events, but the conversation says, let's get this out of the way right up front. Anyone who believes that Russia's dictator and former KGB uh, leader Vladimir Putin would invade Ukraine if Donald Trump were still president is pathetically delusional. Putin's minor incursion, as Joe Biden pre- uh, previewed it ahead of the invasion, is the direct consequence of an inept non-compass mentis uh, appeaser in the White House who was um, um wrong on national security issues throughout his career. But hey, at least Biden doesn't post mean tweets. He leaves that to all his uh, uh, party minions. Well, he goes on from there, suggesting that Putin has launched uh, what is no longer considered a minor incursion to an actual invasion. Well, the Russian president on Monday recognized the independence of the eastern Ukrainian enclaves of Donsk and uh, Lugansk, uh, which have been... um, under the de facto control of pro-Russian separatists for years, not Russia, but de facto um, pro-Russian separatists. The president of Russia and said that he intended to sign the relevant decree in the near future, the Kremlin announced on Monday. The president of France and the federal chancellor of Germany expressed their disappointment with this development. At the same time, they indicated they, uh, their readiness to continue contacts. Well, in the wide-ranging speech shortly following the announcement, Putin claimed that Ukraine and Russia have a shared culture and history and that Ukraine does not stand as a truly independent nation. Ukraine is not just a neighboring country to us. It is an inherent part of our own history, culture, spiritual space, Putin said. These were remarks translated live on the Russian state-owned network RT. The modern Ukraine was completely created by Russia, to be more exact, by uh, Bolshevik communist Russia. Well, Putin added that it is important to understand that Ukraine never had a consistent tradition of being a true nation. Uh, to those who seized power and keep the power in Kiev, we demand to stop hostilities immediately, Putin said, according to the translation. Otherwise, all the responsibility for the possibility for the continuation of the bloodbath will be on the conscious uh, consciousness on the regime in Kiev. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said the Biden administration had anticipated a move like this from Russia and prepared economic sanctions in response, saying President Biden will soon and has now issued an executive order that will prohibit new investment, trade and financing by U.S. persons to, from and in the so-called DNR and LNR regions of Ukraine. Psaki said in a statement, we will also soon announce additional measures uh, related to today's blatant violation of Russia's international commitment. 
Uh, Russia has amassed upwards of 150,000 troops on Ukraine's border and stationed fighter jets and missile batteries in the neighboring Belarus, stoking fears of a potential Russian invasion of Ukraine. Again, invasion, incursion. Uh, in the, uh, it's unclear, rather, what Putin's next move will be after recognizing the breakaway regions of Ukraine as independent states and occupying them. Russia has exerted efforts and still continues to make efforts to resolve all the complicated aspects and tragic developments by peaceful means. But we have what we have, Putin said in a meeting of the Russian National Security Council earlier yesterday. He added later on that, as I have said many times before, if Russia faces the threat of Ukraine being accepted into the North Atlantic Alliance, NATO, the threat against our country will increase. That being the pretext for his eventual invasion. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, French President Emmanuel Macron, he scrambled Sunday to stop a Russian invasion of Ukraine. He arranged a possible summit between President Biden and Vladimir Putin. Well, that's off. The Russians uh, replied on Monday it was uh, to send Russian troops into eastern Ukraine, go on an extensive public rant, all all but declaring war on Ukraine and post-Cold War orders in Europe. Well, it's hard to see what Mr. Putin will accept beyond concessions that would compromise NATO security. And it's long past time for the West to impose the sanctions it has held in abeyance to deter the invasion. They were going to have an impact. One would have thought that would have happened before the invasion. Uh, U.S. officials uh, at the weekend, a Munich security conference kept insisting how unified the transatlantic alliance is in the face of Russian aggression. It's almost as if they were trying to convince themselves as much as Mr. Putin, since they know the cracks that exist below the surface claims to uh, claims of uh, resolve and unity. Well, Italy is already wavering. We're discussing sanctions with the EU. And in the course of these discussions, we have made our positions known that they should uh, be concentrated on narrow sectors without including energy. Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi, he said on Friday, this kind of preemptive surrender is exactly why Mr. Putin uh, figures the price of an invasion would be lower than advertised. Italy imports 90 percent of its gas and is one of uh, Moscow's biggest clients on the continent. Asked over the weekend whether Brussels would impose sanctions on Russia, uh, the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen I responded that everything is on the table. She added that Europe could bring the necessary gas to Italy so that Italy is also on the safe side. Count that as a maybe. Well, energy isn't the only concern and Rome isn't the only um, European capital that's uh, that may waver on sanctions. Germany is reluctant as well established and Hungary is afraid as well. Banning Russia from the swift financial uh, clearing system has already been ruled out as it uh, could imperil tens of billions of dollars in payments to Russian creditors in Austria, France and the Netherlands. And as far as uh, Biden Putin summit, the Russian dictator is in control of the events as he f- is uh, forces are poised uh, for a blitzkrieg, which began at least small scale earlier today. Meanwhile, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said today that because the Biden administration has been so muddled in its response that Russian President Vladimir uh, Vladimir Putin has no fear of the United States of America and the response we might take, end quote. When asked whether he sees what Russia did on Monday as a minor incursion or an invasion, Pompeo said, this is angels on the head of a pin. The administration has been so muddled in the way they've made Vladimir Putin have the upper hand throughout this entire time. Every time Putin acts, we are on the back foot. He does. He has no fear of the United States of America and the response we might take. 
Uh, He was speaking on America Reports. Even this morning, he's not moved peacekeeping troops in, but moved in his tanks. And we've abandoned Ukraine with our diplomats. But apparently that's not enough to support the Ukrainian people, the former secretary of state went on to say. This has been a model of how when you fail at deterrence, when you fail to demonstrate the resolve necessary to protect things that matter not only to the Ukrainian people and not only to Eastern Europe, but to the people of the United States of America, when you aren't prepared to defend those things that matter most, then the bad guys in the world will begin to do what you're seeing Vladimir Putin start today. Well, the president did announce that the U.S. and its allies are implementing full blocking sanctions on two of Russia's banks, as well as sanctions on its sovereign debt. Therefore, the Russian government is cut off from Western financing and can no longer raise money from the West or trade in its new debts on our markets or European markets either. Well, further, he said that the Russian pipeline Nord Stream 2 will not go forward. Well, as uh, mentioned yesterday, Vladimir Putin recognized two regions of Ukraine as independent states. Today, he asserted that these regions are actually extended deeper than the two areas he recognized claiming large areas currently under the jurisdiction of the Ukraine government. He's setting up rationale to make more territory by, or rather take it by force. Uh, in If we listened to his speech last night, and many of you uh, did, I know, he's settling national um, uh, scores and uh, some sort of rationale to justify his actions. Well, this is the beginning of a Russian invasion of Ukraine, as he indicated and asked permission to be able to do of his Duma. Let's begin to, so I'm going to begin to impose sanctions in response far beyond the steps we and our allies and parties used in 2014. And if Russia goes further with this invasion, we stand prepared to go further as with sanctions. The president went on to say, who in the Lord's name does Putin think gives him the right to declare um, new so-called countries on territories that belong to his neighbors? This is a flagrant violation of international law, and it demands a firm response from the international community. The question is whether or not he will get one. And thus far, he doesn't seem to uh, demonstrate any concern that that might be the case. Well, over the past few months, uh, the president says we've coordinated closely with our allies and partners in Europe and around the world to prepare that response. We've said all along, and I told Putin to his face more than a month ago, that we would act together. And the moment Russia moved against Ukraine, Russia now undeniably moved against Ukraine by declaring these independent states. So today I am announcing the first Trunch of sanctions to impose costs on Russia in response to their actions yesterday. These have been closely coordinated with our allies and partners and will continue to escalate sanctions if Russia escalates. So that's our response thus far. And as we watch to see what Russia does next, uh, the, the line goes that there are additional sanctions that will be put in place. Well, I thought it rather interesting amid the wars and rumors of wars, Ukraine pastors are preaching and preparing. Christianity Today uh, reported that Sunday sermons from Baptists and Pentecostals focused on peacemaking, but also the aftermath of any Russian invasion, as Putin um, recognizes uh, some independent countries where these churches are located. Uh, facing imminent war, Ukrainian evangelicals preached peace the day before Russian President Uh, Putin dramatically escalated tensions by recognizing these independent separatist regions. Go closer to meet those who are against you in the fighting or are fighting you, said one pastor, uh, with regard to what's about to happen at God's Peace Pentecostal Church in the capital of Kiev. We are not only to enjoy peace ourselves, but to share it. Preaching on the Sermon on the Mount 
and the injunction toward peacemaking, he continued his laser-sharp focus on the possible Russian invasion. Five weeks ago, as the separatist conflict in the eastern Donbass region began to escalate, he surveyed the Bible for its teaching on wars and rumors of wars. He followed that with an application of Do Not Let Your Heart Be Troubled, and on the next Sunday, a treatise on worry. Well, last week, he tried shifting to include more mundane examples in a sermon on Jesus claiming the storm, or rather calming the storm, such as um, pandemic, career, relationship difficulties. But the Russian threat did not dissipate. Protect yourself and your family by all possible means and serve as a mentor for people in a bad state. Well, the latter spirit is also animating Ukraine's Baptists. Pastors in the uh, gray area are not leaving the area, said uh, one senior vice president of the Baptist Union of Ukraine, describing the front line. Christians are determined to take an active part in the needs of the people around them. They have already planted 25 churches in the past five years, and they intend to continue. Um, At Urban Bible Church in suburban Kiev, a pastor quickly changed the sermon he had prepared on marriage. Instead, the focus turned to prayer for wisdom, courage, ministers in the occupied territories, the National Army, and even the enemies of Ukraine. I do not know in what mood you came here, he challenged his listeners, but I know for sure that if you open your hearts to the Lord, you will come out renewed, strengthened in Jesus Christ, and ready for anything that is challenging our lives. More um, sermon examples uh, were listed at Christianity Today as well. Well, for weeks, the uh, Eastern European nation that uh, has lived in tension as an estimated 150,000 Russian troops amassed on the border. But the uh, gray area has experienced this friction for much longer. The stretch of, of land in the Donbass represented about 40 villages. It lies between Ukrainian government control and Russian-backed militias in the occupied regions In 2014, Russia invaded the Ukraine in support of the separatists. It annexed the Crimean Peninsula on the Black Sea, recognizing the um, proclaimed independence of the two republics. And that will continue. But the church in these um, affected areas and those outside are praying for one another, praying for wisdom and how to address what is just about to happen. And in some places has already happened. You're listening to the Georgine Rice show and we'll be back in a few moments. Remember when Mitt Romney called Russia, one of our uh, main geopolitical foes that prompted a media onslaught back in 2012. Maybe he was actually onto something. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Just a reminder, coming up in the second hour, a conversation with Alex Lippert, his book, After Work, an honest discussion about the retirement lie. Huh, the retirement lie. You probably need to stick around and find out what that is. President Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin had agreed, on a, in principle anyway, to meet for a summit discussing security and strategic stability in Europe But it won't take place because Russia invaded Ukraine or there was at least an incursion. So that meeting is off. Well, in a CRT training exclusive, at least 23 of America's 25 most prestigious medical colleges and universities have some form of mandatory mandatory student training or coursework on ideas related to critical race theory, according to criticalrace.org, which monitors CRT curriculum and training in higher education. Well, with some President's Day advice, while the political divide in our country may seem as intense as ever, some of the nation's greatest presidents have shared important advice about unity and patriotism. 
that has resonated throughout time and continues to resonate to this day. Vice President Kamala Harris on Sunday said she believes sanctions on Russia would absolutely deter Vladimir Putin, despite she and President Biden saying that he has already made up his mind on a potential invasion. Republican Senator Ted Cruz says President Biden's uh, feckless uh, Biden's feckless um, response is to blame for why Europe is on the verge of war. Well, he didn't do that single handedly, but that's a quote. Anyway, Jason Rant says the Biden administration has a new homeless homelessness czar, Jeff Olivet. Uh, Rance suggests we get ready for a woke approach to a crisis that will only lead to more homeless suffering on our streets while wasting billions more on a strategy that doesn't work. That's pretty much what we're doing at this point. Mike Huckabee points out that inflation is a stealth tax on working people, retirees and other Americans who can least afford it. It won't impact the lifestyles of the rich and famous, but will gut punch working class Americans and dramatically change their lives. Politicians generally like inflation. It creates the illusion of economic growth and disguises the cost of deficit spending. But inflation imposes significant direct costs on ordinary citizens. Well, in an inflation backlash, the cost of everything is on the rise across the U.S. with inflation sitting at 40-year high. And now the price of national um, defense could be on the way up as well, according to a new record. Uh, The Biden administration is reportedly seeking the highest Pentagon budget in history for the next fiscal year. Well, the ongoing saga surrounding CNN is a legal mess for everyone involved in Uh, as uh, Discovery is set to take over the beleaguered news organization. And NYC reforms have backfired. Progressive leaders have ushered in criminal justice reform, theoretically intended to rectify the imbalance of black Americans who are arrested, convicted, and incarcerated. But in practice, in cities like New York, where these reforms have backfired, resulting in a spike of crime and with more black Americans victimized and more black Americans incarcerated, according to experts. Well, it is a clash of the titans. The clout of an endorsement from former President Donald Trump faces down the legacy of the Bush family's political dynasty in the GOP primary for Texas Attorney General. And it's not going to be pretty. MSNBC hosts Outrage um, were um, MSNBC, I should say MSNBC host Joy Reid accused the Republican Party of racism on Monday over a meme the GOP Twitter account shared celebrating President's Day. The meme portrayed a collage of Republican presidents with the message, Happy President's Day to such, to such great U.S. presidents. President Biden was also pictured as well with the irreverent caption, Not You. Senator Rand Paul, a Republican out of Kentucky, said the Emergencies Act Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau recently invoked to quell the trucker convoy protests is very, very dangerous and warned against similar legislation available in the United States. By the way, he has extended that emergency, even though the convoy is no longer. In a Biden endorsement, MSNBC host Andrea Mitchell said Monday that President Biden believes he's going to emerge victorious from the face down with Russian President Vladimir Putin and that he has confidence and ego in his foreign policy abilities. Jonathan Turley opines the Trudeau government went public last week with a condemnation of Cuba over its lack of free speech protections as the government deployed unprecedented powers to crack down on Canadian truckers and their supporters. John Cribb says in the voice of Abraham Lincoln, Dear young people, I've been keeping an eye on this country of ours ever since I was president almost eight score years ago and jotted down some notes about what we've seen. I like to uh, put them in my stovepipe hat and carry them around for safekeeping. But since today is President's Day, it's a good time to take them out 
and write a letter to you. Well, there's an article on the subject that's really quite interesting. We might visit that tomorrow. Seattle's graffiti, like gray skies and rainfall, graffiti in the city of Seattle, Washington. You can replace that with Portland, Oregon, is ubiquitous today. Defaced public and private property can be seen everywhere, as in Portland. On storefronts, apartment buildings, commercial vehicles, highways, bridges, street signs, recycling bins, as in Portland. Nothing, sadly, is spared. Prince Andrew, Andrew rather, still believes that he has a shot at public life. Pals of the Duke of York made that claim after Prince Andrew agreed last week to settle his uh, sex abuse case by making a substantial donation to his accuser's charity and declaring that he never meant to malign her character. Well, Penn's transgender swimmer Leah Thomas brought the um, national spotlight to the Ivy League championships over the weekend and left as a champion in three different races. Thomas won the 100, 200, and 500 freestyle events during the course of the week as the transgender swimmer gets ready for the NC2A championship in March against women over whom he has a significant physical advantage. The White House said that Russia, hours or days from invading Ukraine, well, maybe moments at this point, a new report uh, reveals that um, Russia has a kill list, much like the Taliban. From that story, the U.S. has sent a letter to the United Nations warning that Russian focus, um, the forces rather, are creating lists of identified Ukrainians to be killed or sent to camps following a potential military occupation, according to a report. The Canadian police force removed protesters. We saw that begin last week. Mounted police officers trampled an elderly woman with a walker during Friday's Freedom Convoy protest in Ottawa, Canada. Some members of law enforcement thought it was hilarious. Leaked chat messages obtained by Rebel News showed one Royal Canadian mounted officer wrote, that's awesome, in response to the headline. Police horses trampled peaceful protesters. It was the most egregious use of force against peaceful demonstrations on Friday, but not the only one. In another encounter, police smashed the window of a vehicle and dragged its occupants out into the street. One officer was also seen dishing out rifle butts to a protester on the ground. We don't know the whole story, but these are reports from what happened. The Wall Street Journal reports, will Canada return to its peaceful democratic roots or will this episode transform it into something more sinister and undemocratic? Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has certainly acted like a tin pot dictator. Well, as mentioned, Trudeau is keeping emergency powers in place, even without the convoy blocking. He appears to love the power from Trudeau, even though the blockade is lifted across border openings right now, even though things seem to be uh, resolving very well in Ottawa. This state of emergency is not over. There continue to be real concerns about the coming days, but we will continue to evaluate every single day whether or not it's time and we will be able to lift this state of emergency. From another story in the National Review, uh, they point out that as all eyes are trained on the aggressive police sweep of the Ottawa trucker convoy this week, Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau's administration was quietly moving to implement a sweeping expansion of surveillance power at the federal level. The Trudeau government's financial war against truckers has been covered at length, but one underreported aspect of this border assault on Canadian civil liberties is the effort to bring crowdfunding and payment services uh, service providers, two of the most prominent routes for financial transactions on the Internet, under the permanent control of a centralized government. And um, Albert Moeller, in briefing uh, his program, says this, there was no direct threat to the integrity of Canada. There was no direct threat of violence. There were no bombs. There was no violence. No one was killed in any of these protests. We are talking about the essence of protests and a government that simply says it has had enough. And protests against the government of Prime Minister Trudeau was enough for Trudeau to say we are going to act in uh, ways that, again, 
As we noted last on the briefing, the Canadian government insisted did not violate fundamental liberties, but in essence did exactly that. The Beijing Olympics have ended in a ratings disaster for NBC from the story through Tuesday. According to the Associated Press, an average of 12.2 million watched the Olympics in prime time on NBC cable or its Peacock streaming service, a 42 percent dip from 2018's Winter Olympics in Seoul, South Korea. Only 10 million watched NBC alone and 47 percent drop from 2018. And through early last week, it was down 57 percent in its critical 25 to 54 uh, age demographic from the Seoul Games. That was even uh, taking into account the Super Bowl viewership boost NBC got from uh, airing the Olympics directly after the network aired the game on the 13th of February. These Olympics were a disaster for the network, a buzz-free, hermetically sealed event in an authoritarian country a half day's uh, time zone away where the enduring images that will be um, led to the emotional meltdown of Russian teenagers after a drug-tainted figure skaters competition and the bereft of uh, other uh, athletes. Um, one uh, Schifrin sitting on a ski slope wondering what went wrong. The Associated Press wrote, viewers staying away in alarming numbers, and NBC has to wonder whether it was extraordinarily bad luck or if the brand of a once unifying event for tens of millions of people is permanently tainted. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. A reminder coming up in the next hour, right at the top, Alex Lippert. After work, an honest discussion about the retirement lie. That's coming up. And we'll also take a look at George Washington, whose birthday is today. Well, many years ago, but today. Well, the Ukraine prime minister has announced the end of COVID restrictions. On Monday, Prime Minister Boris Johnson, he announced an end to virtually all COVID-19 restrictions in England, sharing uh, during a press conference that all remaining domestic restrictions will be removed. This is part of a living with COVID plan as the uh, Wuhan coronavirus looks to be endemic. Ali Beth Stuckey says, praise God, but don't you ever forget what you did to you, your friends, your mother, your grandfather, your kid, your husband, or your neighbor. They ruined lives and they do it again in a heartbeat on Twitter. Well, used cars surged 41%. The story lists the top 10 used cars. That Dodge minivan you had that was worth $15,000 last you checked, well, it now sells for $25,000. Former uh, cop Kim Potter was sentenced to two years for an accidental shooting death. Last December, the former Minnesota police officer was found guilty of two counts of first and second degree manslaughter in the shooting death of uh, Duante Wright during a traffic stop and the subsequent attempted arrest of uh, Wright. Potter mistakenly grabbed her firearm rather than the taser and shot him as he was attempting to flee his car. On Friday, Judge Regina Chu handed Potter a two-year sentence which was uh, much less than the seven years and two months Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison sought. Well, Chu defended her uh, decision by stating to those who disagree and feel a longer prison sentence is appropriate, as difficult as it may be, please try to empathize with Miss Potter's situation, which is one of the saddest cases I've ever had in my 20 years on the bench. Two years. Mm. Gavin Newsom calls the 22 a weapon of war. California's anti-Second Amendment governor Gavin Newsom posted a photo of an AR-style 22 rifle on his social media account so he could blast the manufacturer for creating a vile weapon of war made to look cute to appeal to kids. 
He also called the uh, NRA-backed politicians to condemn this. The weapon in question is designed for helping to train kids in the safe use of firearms. That's a good thing. Dubbed the JR-15, it helps young Americans learn about and properly engage in the Second Amendment rights, something Newsom clearly loathes. Furthermore, the JR-15 is a, a single-shot 22 lr fully compliant with California's firearms law, which is where he could make a difference if he believes this should not be permitted. But evidently, to Newsom, all it takes to make something a weapon of war is its appearance. Well, the National Archives has confirmed that Donald Trump had classified materials. In a letter sent last week to the House Committee on Oversight and Reform, U.S. archivist uh, David Ferraro he stated NRA, or I should say NARA, has identified items marked as classified national security information within boxes. Fifteen boxes of materials were recently retrieved by the National Archives from Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida. Little is known as to what exactly the classified materials were, but they are classified. The Justice Department has been notified. The former president released a brief statement following the news, saying the National Archives did not find anything they were given upon request, presidential records in an ordinary and routine process to ensure the preservation of my legacy and in accordance with the Presidential Records Act. Well, he added, if this was anybody but Trump, there would be no story here. Instead, Democrats are in search of the next scam, paging Hillary Clinton, end quote. Well, the recently removed fence surrounding the U.S. Capitol is, well, it's going back up. A temporary perimeter fence that was hastily put up around the U.S. Capitol building following the January 6th riot and subsequently removed is reportedly likely to reappear prior to the State of the Union address on the 1st of March. The reason, fears of a large freedom convoy-type uh, truck protest. According to a statement from the Capitol Police, law enforcement agencies across the national capital region are aware of the plans for a series of truck convoys arriving in Washington around the time of the State of the Union. Speaker Pelosi is also limiting those attending Biden's address to only members of Congress. There were more people in the country illegally released into the U.S. in one month than were deported last year. That's a key data point demonstrating the uh, administration's border crisis is, in fact, the result of an intentional plan and not mere incompetent leadership. As the number of uh, those crossing the border, the southern border continues at a record pace. The administration has not not only resurrected the Obama catch and release policy, but has injected it with steroids. Over the last month, the administration has released more uh, aliens into the U.S. interior than it deported all last year. In the entirety of fiscal year 2021, ICE deported 55,590. Meanwhile, January saw 62,573. One year as opposed to one month. Well, Germany has halted construction on the Russian pipeline following Vladimir Putin's recognition of two separatist Ukraine regions, not just recognition, but entering into those areas. The German chancellor, Olaf Scholz, announced the halting of certification needed for the continuing construction of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. He explained that recent developments made the situation fundamentally different, which is why we must reevaluate the situation. Russia's former president and current head of the National Security Council, Medvedev, chided Scholz, so welcome to a new world where Europeans will soon pay 2,000 euros for 1,000 cubic meters of gas. 
Well, President Trump's Truth Social, it's a media platform, hit the Apple Store late Sunday evening. Donald Trump's long-awaited social media platform named Truth Social was released on Apple's App Store and quickly became the number one downloaded application over the past 24 hours. Truth Social immediately hit a technical snag, however, likely due to high download volume, resulting in a 13-hour partial outage. Trump is now back on social media after being banned by tech giants Twitter and Facebook back in January of last year. It was last November that Trump announced the establishment of his new media company, Trump Media and Technology Group, specifically noting his aim was to give a voice to all. The Truth and Social app for Android is still in development with no word yet as to when it's expected to launch. Meanwhile, Kyle Rittenhouse is seeking to hold the media to account On Monday, he announced his plan to create the Media Accountability Project, an organization whose aim is to raise money for legal challenges against media organizations that engage in defamation. Rittenhouse, who was widely vilified and misrepresented by many in the mainstream media during his self-defense shooting trial, explained the Media Accountability Project is the official fundraising vehicle for holding the worst offenders in our activist media accountable in court. In other news, the Kremlin poured cold water on the summit plan for the president of this country and Putin on Ukraine. There's one dead and five injured after a shooting at another Portland Antifa gathering over the weekend. Ghislaine Maxwell's family fears for her safety after an Epstein Powell was found dead by suicide while in custody. And Florida is on track for a 15-week abortion ban similar to the one before the U.S. Supreme Court. A jury found Ahmad Arbery's Killers guilty of hate crimes. The CDC has quietly lowered early childhood speech standards. And a a transgender child molester who's been tried as a juvenile laughs about his light punishment. There's more to that story that is really outrageous. Canadian lawmakers have extended the so-called Emergency or Despotic Powers Act for the truck protests, even though the protests have come to an end. Well, on this day in history, 1630, English colonists in the Massachusetts Bay Colony first sampled popcorn brought to them by a Native American for their Thanksgiving celebration. 1732, the first president of the United States, George Washington, is born in Westmoreland County in Virginia, the colony. 1862, Jefferson Davis, already the provisional president of the Confederacy, is inaugurated for a six-year term following his election in November of 1861. 1935, it becomes illegal for airplanes to fly over the White House. 1959, the inaugural Daytona 500 race is held. Although Johnny Beauchamp is initially declared the winner, the victory would be awarded to Lee Petty. 18, rather 1980, the Miracle on Ice takes place in Lake Placid, New York, as the United States Olympic hockey team upsets the Soviets 4-3. The U.S. team would go on to win the gold medal. It was a big deal at the time. 1997, scientists in Scotland announced they succeeded in cloning an adult mammal, producing a lamb named Dolly. Dolly, however, would be put down after a short life marred by premature aging and disease. On this day in history, 2014, at the Sochi Olympics, Merit Bjorgen uh, becomes the most decorated female Winter Olympian in history, winning her sixth career gold medal by leading a Norwegian sweep in the women's 30-kilometer cross-country race. And finally, on this day in history, 2018, the U.S. women's hockey team won the gold medal at the Winter Olympics in South Korea, beating Canada 3-2 to after a shootout in that area. That's when people actually watched The Olympic Games. Well, could a much-delayed COVID-19 shot finally win over religious vaccine skeptics? Well, that's the question swirling around a vaccine made by 
uh, Novavax, a Maryland biotech firm that submitted its request for the U.S. Food and Drug Administration last month for emergency use authorization of its COVID-19 shot also known as NVX Co V2373. And although more than a year behind competitors, much of as Moderna and Pfizer BioNTech, which were both cleared by emergency use in late 2020, Novavax two-dose vaccine has already been approved for use in other countries, such as the UK, and the company hopes to aid global in, uh, inoculation efforts. The new Novavax shot um, is approved by the Catholic and evangelical leaders, They've endorsed the existing options. This vaccine, however, is the first without links to fetal-derived cell lines. We'll continue to follow that story. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming here at the top of the hour. And then a conversation with Alex Lippert. His book, After Work, an honest discussion about the retirement lie. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Retirement. I'm looking forward to retiring at some point, and I think most of us are, but how do you go about it? While working with numerous clients over the years, my next guest and his co-author, Joel Malik and Alex Lippert, they began to see a pattern. Lots of people were well-prepared financially, but pretty ill-prepared in other critical ways. Well, the authors of After Work, an honest discussion about the retirement lie and how to live a future worthy of dreams, They say purpose is central. Many people work their entire lives longing for retirement. Once they arrive, they find something missing. Well, the pair, they believe there are 10 essential keys to consider. We're going to talk about them. The cornerstone habits offset what they refer to as the sugar rush of retirement. This is that honeymoon period of euphoria after retirement that quickly fades. Well, the pursuits of purpose, faith, deepening your connection with others, a hunger for learning, experiencing the new, uh, rekindling a sense of awe in your life and practicing generosity. All these um, are uh, in their own unique way, combat the strong societal pressure we face. In the end, what will be important? Well, I'm just delighted to talk about this book. Yesterday, I celebrated my 65th birthday. And while I'm not quite ready to, in quotes, retire, this book has really got me thinking because I want to be, I want to have a meaningful and purposeful end of life experience. So I'm grateful. Alex Lippert joins us. He's one of the co-authors. He's a partner with Steadfast Wealth Company in Colorado Springs, Colorado. He joined the financial services industry in 2010. He earned his Bachelor of Arts degree from the University of Puget Sound, uh, double majoring in international business finance and in Mandarin Chinese. Uh, He enjoys cooking for family and friends, fly fishing, uh, trail running, and is a beekeeper. I wish we had time to talk about that. Well, he and his wife love adventuring with their daughter, Goldie, and their rescue pup. But today we're going to talk about that end-of-life experience we all look forward to but may not plan well enough for retirement. Thank you so much for joining us today, Alex. Yeah, thanks. Really happy to be here and happy belated birthday to you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I love the title of your book. And because of my stage in life, I was immediately interested. But I really think it should appeal to people much younger and those who are older than I am. Again, the title of the book, After Work, an honest discussion about the retirement lie and how to live a future worthy of dreams. Let's begin with the retirement lie, because I think most of us embrace that lie without really giving it much thought. What are we mistaken about when we think about life after work? Yeah, so the retirement lie is that a selfish withdrawn retirement is a good one. I think our society uh, continually feeds us this narrative of 
you know, sail off into the sunset and, you know, live the good life, quote unquote, live in the dream, you know, and I think the dream that society feeds us constantly is that, you know, as soon as you reach this certain level of assets where, you know, your investments or your rental properties or whatever they are can essentially sustain your life financially, you no longer need to be engaged. You no longer need to be plugged in. Um, you can essentially just go off and vacation for the rest of your life. And uh, for most of us, you know, that sounds great right now, just because we're all kind of in the middle of life's mayhem. You know, we have demanding careers and we're raising children and we're doing all these different things. Um, and there's a shortage on time right now. But as soon as we have, um, you know, that, huge amount of time that retirement equates to a lot of us become lost. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, you provided some uh, some glimpses into what retirement life is for many people who haven't perhaps given the kind of thought your book recommends. Average retiree watches uh, 49 hours of TV a week. Divorce rates uh, have uh, slowed across the uh, board except for 50 plus. More than 6.5 million Americans aged 65 and older are dealing with depression on some level, according to the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And during working years, the average American has seven hours per day outside of sleep and work. In retirement, That's more th that more than doubles to about 15 hours of free time. Uh, if we don't think about uh, life after work, we're likely to fit into that sort of category and sort of meander our way to the end of life without much meaning. Correct. Yeah. The, the, uh, the deeper down the rabbit hole, uh, Joel and I went on this, on this topic, the more and more we just discovered this is a serious issue. Mm -hmm. And again, I think it's one of those um, a lot of times it's unheard of, you know, so many people think that this is going to be a time of just endless bliss and I just need to get there to reach it. Um, and so it's kind of a quiet suffering situation. I mean, most people, if you ask them, how's retirement, their initial response is things are going great, you know, but as you continually dig deeper and really get into the substance of, you know, what, you know, what's their day to day. What are they actually doing that's kind of a purpose center in their life? A lot of times you'll end up at the conclusion of, man, they're actually having a really tough time, but nobody, you know, is supposed to feel that way. So mm -hmm. it's really weird to finally show up after this career at retirement and be like, okay, now it's time to really enjoy life. And you're like, wait, why am I not enjoying this? And so we, we wanted to explore that as deeply as possible in this book. And we both felt called to write it. So here we are. Well, I certainly uh, appreciate it. Now, what are the major changes in our thought process as we grow older? I think that, you know, it's really interesting when you eventually, quote unquote, retire, you're at this culmination of accumulation in your life. And what I mean by that is you've got the most time that you've ever had in your life from that point on every day. You've got the most wisdom, the most experience that you've ever had in your life. And presumably you have the most resources, um, financial and otherwise. And so, you know, it's really a tragedy for, for people at that kind of culminating point in their lives to not put all of that amazingness to use. I mean, you've got so much potential there to make a huge impact um, on the world around you, on your community, on your own legacy kind of long term. And so I think 
you know, as you approach retirement, obviously your relationship with time is going to change drastically. It's kind of like the, you know, the dog chasing the car down the road. The dog doesn't know what to do if it actually catches the car, right? But the dog just thinks that it wants the car. And it's the same thing with us about time. I mean, we all think in our busy lives that we, that we just want more time. But once we get it, we can find that, oh, wow, I actually need to, you know, find fulfillment in this swath of just free time that I have every single day. You know, you find yourself waking up on a Wednesday morning, sleeping in, and if your calendar is completely blank the rest of the week, and you've accomplished all of the home projects that you wanted to do, and taken a lot of vacations, and, you know, done all of those things that are kind of the immediate sugar rush stuff that you've always wanted to do immediately in retirement, you can absolutely just, you know, lose yourself and feel like you're no longer you anymore. So we're trying to avoid that with the book. Yeah. Now, in your work in financial planning, what kind of regrets do people often express uh, in the area of finance and perhaps beyond? Yeah. So we use a lot of stories in the book that Mm -hmm. are real client stories, uh, but we, you know, change the names and some of the details. So to keep the gist of the story uh, true to the story, but obviously we don't want any of our clients for good or for bad, you know, just feeling bad about it. Um, But, you know, there's just uh, so many folks that kind of get down the path of retirement and they look back and they feel like they don't have a lot to show for it. You know, um, you can sure go golf a lot. You can take a lot of vacations. You can do all of these things like that, that are fun. And we don't want to discourage that. I mean, retirement is a fantastic time to go and enjoy that flexibility, the freedom to go do stuff that you really want to do and have a lot of fun. But I think, you know, that has to be kind of the garnish on the plate and not the entree. Um, But a lot of folks look back on retirement and it's just kind of a blur. It's just a blur of golf and happy hours and all these fun things, but there's not a lot of true victories. And I think one of the themes in our book is that, you know, true challenge actually brings true results. So you really have to challenge yourself. You really have to put in, you know, the blood, sweat, and tears in order to really have this impactful, fulfilling outcome that you want to see, whatever that outcome is. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take a quick break, but I'll continue my conversation with Alex Lippert. He is the co-author of After Work, an honest discussion about the retirement lie and how to live a future worthy of dreams. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with uh, Alex Lippert. He is the co-author, along with Joel Malik, of After Work, an honest discussion about the retirement lie and how to live a future worthy of dreams. You draw a distinction between happiness and meaningfulness in the context of the retirement years. Uh, explain the difference and how that can uh, elevate our, our period of post-work uh, to a level that makes life worth living. Yeah, really good question. I think we all are convinced that we're seeking happiness, but I think happiness is a lagging indicator. It's, you know, something organic that kind of comes from within when you're being fulfilled. And so I think we all chase happiness, but we're really chasing fulfillment and a meaningful existence. And so I think, you know, for me personally, 
when I'm, you know, leaving a really demanding day of volunteer work or in, you know, my daily job as a financial planner, when I, when I know deep down that I really truly impacted somebody's life trajectory um, and it was very material, you know, I changed the course of their life financially. Um, those types of things are fulfilling to me. And I feel like happiness is a byproduct of that. And so I think we need to focus more on meaning and fulfillment in our lives and less on happiness because happiness will be a natural byproduct of being fulfilled. And so I think our society creates a lot of misnomers out there, like, you know, just watching commercials or, you know, just things online. And it's, you know, like the Instagram life or whatever. I don't have an Instagram, but I've heard of the Instagram life. And, you know, it's the best car, the best house, fantastic vacations, you know, great at golf, great at tennis. I mean, you just go down the list and there's all these things that I think people envision, you know, creates happiness and all that stuff is, you know, can be fun and can be enjoyed, but I think it's really not fulfilling. That's just kind of the window dressing. And so you really have to dig deep, figure out, you know, what fulfills you truly, you know, what do you finish and you say that was good work and you're going to be happy because of that good work, I think. I love the illustration you used earlier that that should be the garnish on the plate, but not the, <laughs> but not the entree, not the main event. Yeah. Uh, and that's such a yeah. great picture of how we kind of order the abundant time that retirement often brings. Now, you encourage uh, readers to look at our lives and choices backward from the end of life. Now, how does this work to alter our perspective? Yeah, in the book, we discuss um, having a reverse legacy discussion with yourself. So having a deathbed conversation with yourself, but doing it now, um, you know, would you say on your deathbed, I wish I would have played one more game of pickleball hmm. um, or watched more news or, you know, played more golf um, or would you say something else? Like, I wish I would have spent more time with the grandkids or helped out, you know, helped my children more or you know, made an impact with a nonprofit or founded a nonprofit or, I mean, you can just go down the list. And I think if you have that deathbed conversation with yourself, you begin to delineate between what's truly important in life and what's not, you know, I mean, I can't personally, I can't really remember, you know, out of the last 10, just kind of family get togethers where we all just got together at our house, shared a meal. I can't, you know, with very much description, describe kind of all of those 10 family lunches. I absolutely love my family. We have an amazing relationship and we spend a ton of time together, but I think it all just kind of blurs together. But when I've undertaken a volunteer day with my family, you know, and, and like we've all spent a ton of time working together hard and being challenged together, I can vividly recall every single one of those types of endeavors that I've done with the same group of people that I have the same relationship with. And so I think that's another way to kind of frame this reverse legacy discussion with yourself is, you know, what is, what is true and lasting in your life and what is going to be a memory where, you know, maybe you reach your deathbed one day and you're having this conversation with yourself at that point in time too. And you say, wow, I mean, I really don't have that regret. I feel like I've lived a good life. And um, in doing that, I think you'll live a fulfilling life. You'll help 
others be fulfilled and you'll also not, you know, reach kind of the end of the road filled with regret like I think a lot of people do. Mm. That's so interesting because yesterday was my 65th birthday and I spent a couple of hours at the bedside of a dear friend, um, an older woman who adopted me as her daughter years ago. Um, And she was on her deathbed and we talked about legacy and looking back over all that she had accomplished in life, not just during those working years, but beyond. And she was surrounded by her family. And what a what a wonderful picture to think about that day will come. Um, and to think now backward is uh, seems like such a productive way to prepare for those latter years. Now, your book highlights 10 vital keys to consider for retirement. Now, what are a few of these vital keys? Yeah, um, and that's just an amazing story, by the way. Uh, I think that that's, that's a beautiful thing to be mm-hmm. reminiscing on somebody's legacy on their deathbed and just know that they have made an impact and, you know, done all of these amazing things in their in their life journey. Um, before I answer your question, I just also want to bring up one other thing. Please. There's a concept in the book um, called the dash, and it connects with the reverse legacy discussion. And it's interesting because all of our tombstones one day will have a dash, right? The date of our birth and the date of our passing. And that dash is really interesting because it's just a dash on a tombstone. But you have to ask yourself, you know, as you look at the dash of our lives, can you honestly say that we leaned in until the end and had a marvelous adventure? You know, what does that dash actually equate to? And I think that's worthy of some reflection for sure. Absolutely. I wonder too, um, we live in such a youth obsessed culture. If we're sometimes intimidated at the thought that we might be productive, useful members of society with influence and live a meaningful life, when the the message seems to be in some quarters anyway, that the older you get, the less use you are in general. I think that the, you know, the idea kind of permeates our society is if you're retired, you're a has been, mm-hmm. you know, um, I've actually heard a number of retirees that I work with that I know well say, you know, people used to ask me, what do I do? Now they ask me, how do I fill my time? And it's just so funny to think, you know, why are retirees, you know, considered time fillers? They're the ones that have all of the tools to make the most impact in our society and on people's lives. And I think if you grab a thesaurus and you look up synonyms for the word retire, it's, it's super interesting. Um, you come across, you know, words like recede, withdraw, retreat. And so it's such a curiosity that so many people in our society, you know, like one of their sole aspirations is to retire when all of those synonyms just sound terrible to me. (laughs) Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, again, I want to ask you to highlight some of the vital keys uh, to consider. You, You highlight 10 vital keys that we should consider for lack of a better word, those retirement years. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so we go we go down the list and we wanted to be very, very thoughtful from our experience with our clients and in our own lives for, you know, what are the dominant keys? And they're all cornerstone habits. And so I think I can start there. And what that means is there's certain disciplines in your life where if you integrate them into your life and you stay you know, disciplined and um, you continually kind of cultivate them, that they'll create um, a better situation in other areas of your life that you didn't think. You know? So an easy one, I think, is movement. 
we didn't want to use the term exercise because a lot of people don't have a high affinity for exercise, mm-hmm. uh, right? But being active and moving. I mean, if you end up, you know, taking walks every day and staying active, I mean, you're going to see huge benefits in all other aspects of your life. Yeah. Um, you know, not only your physical health, but your mental health, your connections, all of these different things. And so I think all the different keys that we discuss are really cornerstone habits in and of themselves where, you know, we don't expect readers to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to implement all 10 of the keys immediately um, and just be fulfilled from day one, right? I mean, it, it's all a work in progress. It's all a, we're trying to be better tomorrow than we were yesterday. And we're not comparing ourselves to anybody else because we're all so unique, um, you know, but clearly kind of the, the centerpiece of the book is uh, purpose, and um, that chapter's, you know, really in depth on a lot of different kind of perspectives on yes. purpose. But one of the main takeaways, I think, is that hunger is so much more important than skill. You know, you can be a very successful person in your career, but if you step away and you withdraw, you're not going to be fulfilled based on your past level of purpose and engagement and fulfillment. I mean, you really have to stay hungry in retirement and move forward. Um, there's this um, story in the book that we use about Stephen Francis and the Jamaican track team. And we all know that the Jamaicans are um, fantastic track, track athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, um, this author and reporter that was, you know, visiting the Jamaican uh, track team uh, showed up where he was supposed to meet the coach and he was blown away because, the whole place was in shambles. It was an old field, you know, um, it wasn't this kind of this high tech, you know, luxurious training facility that the person had foreseen. And the coach had a really interesting take. He basically said that I want people to come here hungry and be able to get through this, you know, kind of this minimalist, really challenging environment, because that's where the true winners kind of emerge out of. So you don't really get the true winners if they're living a life of luxury and they're not hungry. And I think that applies to all of us in life just in general um, is, you know, we all need to be trying to better ourselves um, in any way possible every day um, and improve. And so that's part of the purpose. I need to take a break, but uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Again, we're talking with Alex Lippert. He is the co-author, along with Joel Malik, of Afterwork, an honest discussion about the retirement lie and how to live a future worthy of dreams. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Alex Lippert. A great book, After Work, is the title, An Honest Discussion About the Retirement Lie and How to Live a Future Worthy of Dreams. Now, let's rehearse again uh, what the retirement lie is and why it's important to be intentional moving uh, out of the work life into that period that follows in a meaningful way. What is the retirement lie? The retirement lie is that a selfish and withdrawn existence in retirement is a good one. Um, and that, you know, you're going to sail off into the sunset, not have a worry, not experience life as you, as you have in the past, you know, life is not going to be glorious every single second. And we all kind of see this mirage on the horizon of retirement being that endless vacation. But, 
in the end, you really can't take a vacation from a vacation. So your life cannot be a vacation 100% of the time. You need to stay engaged um, and you need to really lean in and try to make an impact. And if you do that, then I think you will be able to enjoy all the fun aspects of retirement. You encourage people um, not to burn energy on things they can't control because as we age, there are, are things that are out of our uh, ability to control. Why do you make that point, particularly during that period following work? Great question. I, I think um, the control thing is really interesting because we as humans, we really freak out if we can't be in control, you know. Um, and I think we all can can find stress in so many aspects of life. I mean, you just turn on the news, read the paper, and the headlines are just daunting. And you just wonder, how does our world not just fall apart every day based on the headlines? I mean, mm -hmm. it can be really just fear-filled, scary. You know, there's so many things to worry about out there. But the point is, is you're literally just a hamster kind of turning the wheel. And you're not, you know, making progress in your life by worrying, by being fearful, by trying to control things that quite literally you have no control of, you know, like the stock market, like the news cycle, like, you know, what's happening in China or the Middle East. I mean, you just go on and on, you know, with our politicians. And I think um, one of the doorways to finding purpose and fulfillment in your life is really trying to turn off that noise you know, that's constantly permeating everything. You know, our entire existence now is dependent on technology. You know, we all have supercomputer smartphones in our pockets, you know, that are more powerful than the computers that, you know, send the Apollo missions to the moon. Yes. <laughs> um, and so we constantly are inundated with news, with opinions, with all of these different things. And that can literally just take over all of your mental capacity for, growth for, you know, progress in your own life. And so you really need to be able to dial down that noise um, and focus on things that you, that, that you can control. Um, you know, you can't control the news, but you can control your reaction to the news, you know. Uh, and so you just go down that kind of list in your mind and, and ultimately you land at a spot where you realize, you know, there are a few things for certain that I can control in my life and I'm going to control those really well. And most of what I'm inundated with, I cannot control. So I'm not going to try to control it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I used a, a quote uh, that you provided uh, earlier in the program about the rate of divorce among couples approaching retirement and following um, and you also write about loneliness, the impact that loneliness has and can have during those years. Can you talk about the need for community and relationship during those uh, post, uh, those that after work period? Yeah, loneliness is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day to one's health, um, hmm. said a very large um, research project done by Cigna, the large insurer. Um, and so that's obviously a problem, I think, for a lot of retirees. And sometimes that's completely out of their hands. I mean, a spouse passes away, um, you know, and they're not going to be remarried or anything, and they feel lonely. And so I think, you know, for, you know, those widows, or just in general, I think the idea is, is to really lean in with your connections. And, um, we also looked at other research um, on just connections and relationships, and we put this in the book, but 
what they found is it's not about the number of relationships you have. You know, it, it's not about you being a social butterfly. You know, I'm an introvert, which is funny because I'm being interviewed on a radio station. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think, you know, it's really about the depth of your relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not like you need to go out and be a social butterfly, but those relationships in your life that are meaningful to you, how can you kind of step into those further? How can you develop those relationships further and have a deeper, more meaningful relationship? And I think by doing that, even if there's only a few people in your life or one person that you feel like you really want to do that with, I think that's going to bear a lot of fruit for you down the road. I think a great quote. Uh, by Robert Louis Stevenson kind of rings true to this discussion, but um, he's the author of Treasure Island um, and a poet. And he Mm -hmm. said, don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds that you plant. And I think relationships and combating, you know, loneliness and depression and and all of these kind of pitfalls of retirees. um, The key is to really focus on all of the seeds that you're planting, you know, because the harvest comes later. Yeah. You know, like the farmer's not out there planting a seed once and then they don't reap the benefits every year thereafter for all eternity. I mean, they have to go out and plant the seeds every year. And so it's a continual progression that you have to have in your life, you know, a continual level of effort that you have to be there trying to cultivate these relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And for the record, I'm an introvert as well. And I host a radio show. So go figure. huh? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> you include a chapter mm-hmm. on faith and we're just about out of time, but I didn't want to miss um, talking about the role that faith can play in a retired uh, retiree's life. Yeah. C.S. Lewis had a great quote. He said, faith is a habit. We must be continually reminded of what we believe and it must be fed. And like any of the other tenets, you know, it is something that needs to be cultivated in your life. You don't just wake up one day and open up a Bible um, and say, okay, I'm faithful, right? I mean, it's a process. And all of us as humans, uh, we have this internal division in our lives, you know, where we have, you know, that devil on our shoulder and the angel on our shoulder, you know, that whole visual. And the devil is extremely loud, much louder than, than, than the small little angel on your shoulder. And so the devil tells us, you know, feed me because time is almost up. And as humans, we see, you know, the clock ticking, you know, maybe we're 65, maybe we're 85 and we're saying, oh man, I have less time ahead of me. And so, you know, a lot of us tend to scramble to try to fill that void, um, you know, with things that create happiness, like some of the items that we discussed earlier in the show. Um, But I think you can't fill a bucket that has holes in it. You know, the more you put into it, the more it just spills out the bottom and and it will never be full. And I think faith is one of those things that, you know, your values and your faith, I think that's one of the things that plugs the bucket and actually leads you to be more, more fulfilled long-term. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I really enjoyed the book and we'll be referencing it in the days ahead. Again, the title is After Work, An Honest Discussion About the Retirement Lie and How to Live a Future Worthy of Dreams. This uh, book is published independently. How can our listeners uh, acquire a copy? Yeah, we've got a landing page website. It's www.theafterwork.net, or you can find us on Amazon. .net. I'll make sure I put that on our uh, assets pages so that our listeners can find that. Uh, Alex Lippert, thank you so much for talking with us today. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks so much. It was nice to meet you. You too. Bye-bye.
You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, of course, I was absent yesterday because it was President's Day, and it's one of the few, one of the rare federal holidays that we actually get off here. Well, President's Day is actually Washington's birthday. It was recognized initially by an act of Congress for government offices in Washington, D.C. That was back in 1879 and for all federal offices in 1885. Well, in 71, the Uniform Monday Holiday Act to create more three-day weekends moved the observance of Washington's birthday to the third Monday in February. Because more important than actually celebrating the birthday is the convenience and the folly we might have celebrating. Well, as Abraham Lincoln was also born in February, so many states include him in the observance, and still other states include all the presidents. George Washington, born on the 22nd of February, 1732. He was unanimously chosen to the Army's, or I should say, as the Army's Commander-in-Chief, unanimously chosen as President of the Constitutional Convention, unanimously chosen as the first U.S. President, and unanimously re-elected to a second term. This is perhaps the first and last unanimous decision made by leaders in the U.S. Well, George Washington was an Anglican, and after the Revolution, an Episcopalian. His great-great-grandfather, Reverend Lawrence Washington, was an Anglican minister who taught at Oxford. Lawrence and his wife um, had a son named John, and when the Puritans won the English Civil War in 1651, Anglican ministers were demoted. Lawrence was reduced to being an assistant minister, a vicar, at an impoverished parish in Essex, England. It was during this time that John Washington, George Washington's great-grandfather, appreciated as a merchant in London... Uh, he sailed a second officer on a sh- as second officer on a ship to the colony of Virginia to purchase tobacco. In 1657, when a storm partially sank their vessel in the Potomac River, John swam ashore. And while the ship was being repaired, he stayed at the home of a planter, Colonel Nathaniel Pope, and fell in love with his daughter, Anne. John never returned to England. Well, John and Anne, they married, and her father gave them 700 acres in Westmoreland County, 700 acres. John Washington became a successful planter and a member of the Virginia House of um, uh, the Virginia House of Burgesses. Uh, he was a militia leader during the Nathaniel Bacon Rebellion against Governor William Berkeley in 1676. A local Anglican church was renamed Washington in honor of John Washington. When John died, he left to the church a tablet of the Ten Commandments. His will stated, In the name of God, amen. I, John Washington of Washington Parish in the county of Westmoreland in Virginia, gentlemen, being of good and perfect memory, thanks be unto Almighty God for it, and calling to remembrance the uncertain states of this transitory life, that all flesh must yield unto death, do make, constitute, and ordain this my last will and testament. First, being heartily sorry for the bottom of my heart, from the bottom of my heart, for my sins past, most humbly desiring forgiveness of the same from the Almighty God, my Savior and Redeemer, in whom and by the merits of Jesus Christ I trust and believe assuredly to be saved, and to have full remission and forgiveness of all my sins, and that my soul with my body at the general resurrection shall rise again with joy. Now, how many... Wills, have you heard that include all of that? Well, the oldest of John Washington's sons was Lawrence, the grandfather of George Washington. Lawrence married Mildred Warner, the daughter of Colonel Augustine Warner, Jr., 
um, an ancestor of Queen Elizabeth II. Well, Lawrence and Mildred had three children, the second being Augustine, uh, who would become George Washington's father. When Lawrence died in 1698, Mildred married George Gale and moved back to England with her children. When Mildred died, a relative in America petitioned to get custody of her children, including Augustine, and they were returned to Virginia in 1704. Augustine Washington, or maybe he was pronounced at that time Augustine, not entirely sure, he served as a vestryman in the Anglican Truro Parish. He and his wife, Jane Butler, had two sons, um, um, lived two adults, Lawrence and Augustine Jr. Both Lawrence and Augustine Jr. went back to England to study at the prestigious Appleby Grammar School. Jane died in 1729. Augustine married Mary Bell in 1731, and together they had six children, the oldest being George Washington, being born February 22nd, 1732. Well, his father died, Augustine, in 1743 when George was only 11 years old. George's older half-brother, Lawrence, fought in the British Navy under Admiral Edward Vernon, who was captured, or rather who had captured Portobello, uh, Panama, from Spain in 1739. And when Lawrence returned to Virginia in 1742, he named his farm after his Navy Admiral, Mount Vernon. Well, Lawrence married Anne Fairfax. His father, Colonel William Fairfax, had been collector of customs in Barbados and chief justice and governor of the Bahamas, as well as a first cousin to Thomas Fairfax, who was the largest landowner in America with five million acres. Lawrence arranged for George at age 15 to begin a career in the British Navy as a cabin boy, but his mother, Mary Bell Washington, refused. George complied with his mother's wishes and returned home. In 1748, the 16-year-old George Washington, now think about that for a moment, a teenage George Washington, was employed by Thomas Fairfax to survey the western area of his vast estate. In 1751, Lawrence Washington contracted tuberculosis in hopes that a change of climate would help him recover. Doctors recommended he travel to Barbados, where his father-in-law had been collector of customs. He brought along with him 17-year-old half-brother George. Well, this was the only time that George Washington left the American continent. In Barbados, he contracted smallpox but recovered. This um, providentially inoculated him so that he was immune during the Revolutionary War, which estimated that more soldiers died of smallpox than in battle. Well, Lawrence died in 1752, and his Mount Vernon estate eventually was inherited by George, making him one of the youngest and largest landowners in Virginia. George became vestryman of Truro Parish and was godfather in baptism to several nephews and niece and a niece. From 53 to 58, that's 1753 to 1758, he served in the French and Indian War. He was a colonel under George Edward Braddock, commander of the British forces in America. He miraculously survived the Battle of, um, I'm not sure I can pronounce it correctly, Monongalia. In 1755, um, Braddock was killed, leaving George in command. In July of 1755, he wrote from Fort Cumberland to his brother, John A. Washington, by the all-powered dispensations of providence, I have been protected beyond all human probability or expectation, for I had four bullets through my coat and two horses shot under me, yet escaped unhurt, although death was leveling my companions at every sight of me. Colonel Washington wrote to Fort Loudoun in April of 1758. The last assembly provided for a chaplain to... Our regiment won this uh, one rather on this subject that I often without any success applied to Governor Dinwiddie. I now flatter myself that your honor will be pleased to appoint a sober, serious man for this duty. Common decency, sir, in a camp calls for the services of the divine. Well, in 1759, he fell in love with Martha, Patsy, Danbridge, 
Custis, a 26-year-old widow and mother of two children, John Jackie Party Curtis and Martha Patsy Parkey Curtis. Martha had inherited five plantations totaling 17,500 acres. Her daughter Patsy died at age 16 of an epileptic seizure while George held her in his arms and wrote, The sweet, innocent girl entered into a more happy and peaceful abode than she had met in the afflicted path she had hitherto trod. In 1775, after the Battle of Bunker Hill, George Washington was commissioned as the general of the Continental Army. He wrote to Martha in June of 1775, My dearest, it has been determined in Congress that the whole army raised for the defense of the Americas uh, cause shall um, shall be put under my care and that it is necessary for me to proceed immediately to Boston to take up command of it. You may believe me, my dear Patsy, when I assure you in the most solemn manner that so far from seeking this appointment, I have used every endeavor in my power to avoid it. But as it has um, been a kind of destiny that has known me upon this service, I shall hope that my undertaking is Designed to answer some good purpose. I shall rely, therefore, confidently on that providence which has heretofore preserved and been bountiful to me, not uh, doubting that uh, I shall return safely to you in the fall. Well, in July, the 4th of July, in fact, 1775, General Washington, he ordered the generals, uh, general requires observance of the Articles of War, which forbid profane cursing, swearing, and drunkenness, and requires punctual attendance of divine services. In October of that same year, General George Washington issued the order, any soldier who shall hereafter be detected playing a toss-up pitch and hustle or any other games of chance, gambling, shall without delay be confined and punished. The general does not mean by the, the above to discourage sports of exercise or recreation. He only means to uh, discountenance and punish gaming. In February the 26th and 1776, the general, he issued the orders, all soldiers are positively forbid playing at cards and other games of chance. At this time of public distress, men may find enough to do in service of their God and their country without abandoning themselves to vice and immorality. Washington acknowledged God throughout the revolution. As he wrote in May of 1776, the Continental Congress, having ordered Friday the 17th instance to be observed as a day of fasting, humiliation and prayer, humbly to supplicate the mercy of Almighty God, that it would please him to pardon all our uh, manifold sins and transgressions and to prosper the arms of the United Colonies and finally establish the peace and freedom of America upon a solid and lasting foundation. The general commands all offices, officers rather, and soldiers to pay strict obedience to the orders of the Continental Congress that by their infamed and pious observance of their religious duties, they may incline the Lord and give her a victory to prosper our arms. Well, then uh, in 1776, on the 2nd of July, from his headquarters in New uh, New York, General Washington, he issued his general order. The time is now near at hand, which must probably determine whether Americans are to be freemen or slaves, whether they are to have any property uh, they can call their own. Now, he was himself a slave owner, so he was only referring to white Americans at the time. But as I've said here many times, I believe much of what was said by those leaders was much more profound than even they imagined. And ultimately, it was those very words, his and others, uh, that won the freedom and victory for others of us who were not included in that great promise. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We are out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing from an undisclosed location and Sam Maupin for engineering today's program. Thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Hope you'll join us here again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. 
If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.